it's good to see you again, to be back with you, to spend time with you, to have this opportunity to worship with you again. If you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you to let you know we're excited to have you here with us as we continue this Lord's Day glorifying Him and really all that we do as we sing praises to Him, even as we prayed to Him just a moment ago. And now the incredible opportunity we have to open up His Word and to study from it. I hope you have a Bible with you tonight. We're going to be studying from the book of Ephesians for a few minutes. We're going to spend some time there in a specific passage that I think will be helpful to us as we kind of finish this day out and we move in to our everyday, everyday weeks. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, in this incredible chapter, really towards the very end of that chapter, kind of the middle end, Paul is setting forth a principle, and it is very visual, as a lot of his analogies are. It's a principle that, as Christians, that there is a certain part of us, our own lives even, that we are to take off that old man, that we are to put him away, and not just kind of take off pieces of him or take off parts of him, but take him off completely and discard him completely. But yet at the same time, what's really interesting about passages like this, a kind of a parallel passage in Colossians, the third chapter, It isn't just about the taking off, although that is important. And we're going to talk briefly about that even tonight. But it isn't just about the taking off part of Christianity, even though at times I think we focus heavily on that. We cannot ever lose sight of the putting on part. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, and and also in Colossians chapter 3, those things work together. They are the same. It is a part of being a Christian. Being a Christian isn't just about not doing certain things, but also about being certain things. Paul will say, listen, you've got to take off some things. You've got to take off that old man, and you've got to put on the new man. And here in Ephesians chapter 4, he's establishing this principle. And then at the very end of that text, the very end of that chapter, he will take this principle and give really specific applications. Let's take a look at it. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25, and we're going to read through verse 32. Here's what I want you to look for first. We've made mention about the principle of taking off the old man and putting on the new. And that principle is given to us here in the middle of Ephesians chapter 4. And now at the very end of this chapter, we have what that looks like, the applications of that. And in this short text, there are five specific sins that Paul will make mention of when, he's, when he wants us to think and be mindful of taking off the old man. And so as we read this text, be looking for those. I'll give you what they are here in just a moment, but be looking for those five sins that's made mention of specifically. Let's read this text together. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. He says, Therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. 
but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Well, as we were reading that text together, I hope you were able to locate and to hear these specific sins that Paul says you need to stay away from. This is a part of putting off, putting off the old man. The old man used to do these kinds of things. We're putting him off. And so as a Christian, we're not going to do these kinds of things any longer. And so specifically, for instance, he made mention of lying. In verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4, he made mention of anger and the dangers of that sin. In verses 26 and 27, he made mention of stealing. If you are apt to be one who was stealing, you're going to now steal no longer. In verse 28, corrupt speech, he makes mention of in verse 29. And then in verse 31, he'll make mention of bitterness. I want you to think about these five that are given to us here. How many specific sins could Paul have chosen to illustrate the point of putting off the old man and putting on? I mean, how many? I mean, how many different sins could he have chosen when he's trying to illustrate what it looks like to put off the old man and put on the new. I mean, how many hundreds and hundreds of things that he could have chose, but he chooses these. What's really interesting is that a lot of them have something in common. And that's what really has caught my eye. Because in a lot of ways, especially these four... Lying, anger, corrupt speech, bitterness are causing us to pay attention to the words that we choose to use. Don't lie with your speech. Don't be angry with someone else. Don't use corrupt speech. Don't be bitter in your speech. All of these are leaning that way. And so when we see that, does that make sense? Well, it does because of the flip side that we get. And the rest of our time tonight, I want to spend really digging into Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Because he gives us all of these things. Don't speak this way. Don't lie, tell the truth. Don't speak with anger. Don't speak with bitterness. Don't speak with malice. Don't speak with wrath. Don't be corrupt in your speech. All of these things he gives us. And then verse 32, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving to each other. We've probably all heard the common mom cliche, right? If you don't have anything nice to say, 
don't say anything at all. Right, probably every mom in the history of the world has uttered a phrase much like that, right? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. It, it is one of those cliches, like some others, where if you would poll just random people, especially people not intimately familiar with the Bible, may even think, well, that's in the Bible somewhere, that, that, right? That's got to be in there somewhere. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I've been thinking about that saying, that cliche, and I understand it. Certainly as we're trying to teach our children about the words, being thoughtful of the words that they use. But what about us as Christians, about us as adults even? Is this still the moniker for the Christian? Is this the way in which we should be living? I think sometimes we, we convince ourselves that this is, this is the godly way. The godly way is when I think of something nasty or ugly to say to, say, to someone, I filter that with self-control and I don't say anything at all. And because those ugly, ugly thoughts of hate or filth, or anger didn't come out, I mean, it doesn't get any more godly than that, right? We convince ourselves that if I live true to this moniker, that, that's, what, that's what Jesus is wanting. But when you read a passage like this in Ephesians chapter 4, we start to see it's not what God is wanting at all. You see, it isn't if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. If that cliche, if that saying were to be found biblically, it would come out something like this. If you don't have anything nice to say, repent and be nice. That's the biblical way to go about it. But sometimes it's easier said than done. And I think that's why you have here the Apostle Paul hammering this point. And so let's, for a few minutes, talk about speaking nice. This passage is going to help. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, again, I have it on the screen behind me. Most translations render it very, very similar to this. But it is this, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. And so for the next few minutes, let's dissect this verse a little bit. And we're going to start with this beginning idea about being kind, especially in the Greek, the word that's used here. What's the connotation of this? What's the point that Paul is trying to make when he says, you be kind? And when you look up a word like this, what you find is that this word, demands, it demands that I consider the feelings of others and try to bring about joy rather than unhappiness. That was what I found in one of the Bible dictionaries I was looking at this week. To kind of make it a little bit easier to understand, kindness is about being focused on helping, not hurting. If our words hurt, you cannot mask that or justify that as kindness in any way. 
A lot of times we do, don't we? We'll say something like, I I know that was ugly in the way that I said that, but you really needed to hear it. I I know that was not thoughtful in the way that I delivered that, but that's what tough love looks like. You see, we justified in those kinds of ways. Now, listen, can we rebuke even and be kind? I think biblically, absolutely we can be. Because in a passage like this, kindness is not a choice that we get to make. Did you see how this is delivered? It, it doesn't get any more commandly. Oh, that didn't come out right. We're going we're gonna to roll with it. it. It doesn't get any more commanding sounding. It's not any better then be kind. I mean, it doesn't doesn't get any more simple when it comes to a command than that. It doesn't get any more. There's no wiggle room in that. There's no wiggle room. It is be kind. That's what we're called upon to be. We are called upon to be kind. And you didn't notice here, there's no qualifiers given. There's no parentheses. Be kind in this illustration. Be kind in this circumstance. Be kind at this time. It is be kind. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like help, not hurt. Well, I want you to hold your finger there in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to give you a couple of the things to consider that may help us with this. A little deeper into the New Testament in the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. Really interesting context for this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter is he's in the midst of a conversation specifically about husbands and wives, their relationship to one another, their submission even to one another. And he's in this conversation about this very specific relationship. And at the end of that, he makes a generalized point. He makes a general point at the end of this. Listen to what he says. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. He's talked to husbands. He's talked to wives about some things that they need to be thinking about. And then he lays this in a very general way. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Finally, finally... All of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. A word we don't use very often anymore. And this conversation about the relationship and the attitudes that husbands and wives need to have for one another, he takes a bigger step back to make this generalized point. He says, listen, finally, listen, you you need to have love. You need to be compassionate. You need to be tenderhearted. You need to be courteous to one another. Everybody needs to be thinking about that. 
I made mention that in Colossians chapter 3 is really a a parallel passage to Ephesians chapter 4. But I want to read that passage to kind of give us that idea. Really, when you study the book of Ephesians, a lot of times studying the book of uh, Colossians alongside of it is really helpful because they are very similar. They parallel one another in a beautiful way. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, listen to this text. See if it doesn't sound familiar to you. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Does that passage sound familiar? It should because it's an expanded version of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. If you're a Bible writer, you should make that note. It's an incredible cross-reference between these two passages. But did you take note again? Even here in the book of Colossians, words like, be this, do this. This kind of attitude towards one another isn't a choice that we get to make. It's something that followers of God will do. And so going back to Ephesians chapter 4, you have this idea of being kind. I'm going to add to that the idea of tenderhearted, and it's going to lead us to the very end of the verse. But this word tenderhearted, a couple of kind of translations may use the word compassion. I think New American Standard or ESV 1 uses the word compassion. The other uses tenderhearted. But what's interesting about this word, in a little bit different kind of way, the idea here is being full of sympathy, but not just being full of sympathy, being also full of empathy. It's the idea of being considerate. But what are we being considerate about? We're being considerate of problems. We're being considerate of faults. We're being considerate of sorrows. We seek to comfort. I want you to think about those two words for a second. I want you to think about this group that we worship with and all the different people, all the different people doing all kinds of different things in so many different walks of life, in different areas of life, going through different difficulties in life, opportunities to be kind. Opportunities to be tenderhearted. As I sat down this week knowing that, you know, this was a lesson that I was working on and putting together. You sit there for a second and you just, you start to think. You start to think of all of the people that there are, that we have, that need some tenderness or some compassion or some kindness. Now the danger in doing things like that And certainly what I, the trap that I fell into this week Is to almost be saddened by that Maybe saddened by the plight of the one that you're thinking about Or saddened by your own shortcomings And showcasing that level of kindness and tenderheartedness that we're called upon I'm going to ask you 
try not to get trapped into that, but revel even in the opportunities that we have. It's not about beating ourselves up. That's not what this lesson tonight is about. It's not about beating us up about how we haven't been kind. You haven't been kind. I haven't been kind. Nobody is kind. Nobody has tenderness. Nobody has compassion. That's not the idea at all. The idea is for us to think right now about the people that we are around and how we deal with them. Do we deal with people with kindness, with tenderheartedness, with compassion? Let me tell you who does deal with people that way. I'll tell you who does deal with people that way. God does. Think about God's kindness, God's compassion. You know, we start to think about who who does react that way. God does. And think about the reality of his kindness and his compassion, his tenderheartedness towards man, in a lot of ways shown most in his forgiveness. I think that's why the Apostle Paul goes to that next. He wants us to be thinking about God. He makes mention of Christ specifically here. He wants us to be thinking about God's forgiveness for sure, but he wants us to be thinking about God's kindness. He wants us to be thinking about God's compassion. I want you to think about forgiveness and the way that it's made mention of here, forgiving one another just as God and Christ also forgave you. I want you to think about forgiveness. And I want you to think about the way that God delivered that. He delivered forgiveness. He delivered it to us as a gift. He gave it to us freely. He gave it to us unselfishly. He gave it to us generously. Think about passages that we don't have to turn to because we know passages like John chapter 3 and verse 16, passages like Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, when they use words such as gift or God gave to us Christ. He did that unselfishly. He did it freely. He did it generously. And it is that kind of kindness and compassion and forgiveness that we need to imitate. I think sometimes when it comes to even something like this, forgiveness, again, think about the words in which we use. We've got to remind ourselves. I don't want to use the phrase to give ourselves permission, but I'm close to that. I don't want to, but I'm close to that. But we've got to remind ourselves that it isn't shameful or it isn't weak or it isn't disgraceful to let a wrong committed against us to let it go without claiming justice or looking for a punishment to dole out in some way. God is in charge of justice. He's in charge of punishment. I think sometimes we convince ourselves that it's shameful if I let something like that go. 
if I push something like that aside? What if God thought that way? What if God operated that way? How dependent am I on God for my own forgiveness? How dependent upon are you upon God? You may still be open to the book of Colossians, but in Colossians chapter 3, we read verses 12 and 13. We read, you know, those ideas. I want to read verse 13 one more time because it gives us this uh, one more point I want to make, but it says, you know, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. This is Colossians 3.13. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another... Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. What do we find biblically? Or where do we find biblically where God tells us, don't forgive that. Don't forgive that. Don't do that. Don't forgive that. If this is done to you, you can forgive this. But I mean, if this is done, don't forgive that. Is that in Matthew somewhere? Can we turn turn to that passage? Can we look up? Everybody's got a smartphone. Can we find that somewhere? We're not going to find that passage. That's not how God operates. But we operate that way all the time. But, but what if I put on kindness and put on tenderness and put on compassion? Is that going to have an impact on my forgiveness? Absolutely. Or, or where is it in God's book where I get the indication that I'm only to forgive so many times? Certainly that's got to be in here somewhere, right? I mean, the person that is offensive and hurtful continuously, surely there is a passage that says, now if you reach this amount... You don't forgive anymore. Where where is that? Well, we can't find that either. Well, what does it take to forgive at that kind of level? Kindness. Tenderness. Compassion. It's more than just the words that we use. It's the heart that we have. It's a powerful passage here in Ephesians chapter 4. Sometimes we get wrapped up in all these things don't do, and we, we need not to steal. We need not to speak corruptly and be bitter and angry. We need not to be those things. But let's not lose sight of what we are to be imitating, and that's God. So here's what I'm going to have you to do as we close. Be thinking about your interaction with people. Be thinking about how it is you interact with folks. And be thinking about how often it is that you interact with them with kindness in the way that you speak to them. Uh, Again, there's no qualifiers given here. It's not about I'm speaking kindly to uh, the people who speak kindly to me or I speak kindly to the people who are the closest of my friends or I speak kindly to the people who are super, super nice or important. It's be kind. So let's be thinking about that. Let's be honest about that. My interaction with people, is is that my default? 
or is my default ugliness and bitterness and filthiness? If that's your default and you have in the past been patting yourself on the back because you haven't allowed that to come out, Let's just change that default. And as a Christian, let's default to God in his mind. Love, compassion, tenderness, forgiveness. Let's try those things on. And if we're able to make that default change in our heart and in our mind, it will have, listen, an immediate impact and the way I speak in every capacity. James chapter 3 isn't the only passage in the New Testament that talks about our tongue. It is everywhere. So put that in your mind. Be thinking about that. Take notice of other passages in the New Testament that talks directly about our speech. There is a bunch of them. But this is a good one here, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Kim's got a good song that goes with this. She'd be love to teach it to you. We're done. No, no. We appreciate you being here. It's been a busy weekend for a lot of folks. It's a holiday weekend. We've got people coming. We've got people going. A lot of things on the move. But what an incredible time we've had for a few minutes here to be together, to focus ourselves on God. And I'm so thankful that you've chosen to be here tonight with me. I'm uplifted in every way to be able to worship with you tonight. And as we sing the song that Cale has asked us to sing, it gives us another opportunity. What an incredible blessing. An opportunity for us to take a moment in each of us to consider where we stand with God. Let's not take advantage of this opportunity. Let's seize it. Let's all of us think about that. And maybe we can help you in some way tonight. If we can, you let us know as we stand and sing.